listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present an encore presentation of Carmelite Conversations. Well, hello. Welcome to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. I'm so glad you're with me tonight. Unfortunately, Mark is not with me tonight. But guess what? I have good news. He will be with us next week. So um, if you've been missing him like I've been, uh, don't miss next week because he's going to be back with us. And so tonight, um, we're going to talk about Heaven is for Real. I know a lot of you have been out there watching the movie that is out there or reading the book that came before. Um, so I have a special guest that I'll introduce here in just a minute. But our topic is about Heaven is for Real. Um, but, you know, with every program, we want to start with a prayer. And here in the United States, we are celebrating Memorial Day, which is to honor our veterans who have served our country and who have defended our freedoms. On a broader note, let us also think of those, two who fight the spiritual battles for our religious freedom and for the dignity of all souls. So this prayer is offered in their honor. So I ask you to join me by just blowing out all of the stuff that has annoyed you today or angered you today or frustrated you today and breathe in the Holy Spirit and focus on Christ present in your heart, in your soul. And let us pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, on this Memorial Day, help us to be mindful of the sacrifices made in our names. We thank you for the men and women who have died to protect our freedoms. Bless them. Help us to appreciate all we have been given because they gave their lives. Please give us all the courage to do what is right and pleasing in your sight. Please shield us from harm, from all violence and injustice. Be our light throughout our lives, but most especially in our darkest hours. Be our hope and strength in the face of all difficulties. Help us to recognize and value the dignity of all souls. Father, we offer this prayer to you in the Holy Spirit, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, our Mother, with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now I'm going to introduce our special guest. He is calling in, so hopefully we have a good connection. Um, he has been on our program many times before. I am sure many times in the future. We just love having him on with us. This is Dr. Tracy Jameson. And um, I just want to tell you a little bit about him and then see if we are connected with him. He was raised in a Christian family as the son of an evangelical minister. And as an undergraduate, he majored in biblical and ancient Near Eastern studies at the Cincinnati Christian University. And through the study of philosophy and the writings of the early church fathers, Tracy was received into the full communion of the Catholic Church in 1992. And under the influence of the theological writings of now Saint John Paul II, he began to study the collected works of Saint Teresa of Avila and Saint John of the Cross, and he entered formation into the order of secular discalced Carmelites. In 1999, he completed the doctoral program in philosophy at the University of Cincinnati and then worked full-time at the Couple-to-Couple League for Natural Family Planning while teaching philosophy part-time at local colleges. 
And in 2002, he made his definitive profession as a secular discalced Carmelite. And then he went on to complete his certificate option in the lay pastoral ministry program at the Athenaeum of Ohio and then entered the permanent deacon formation program in 2007. Following in 2010, he was ordained as a permanent deacon of the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. And in 2011, he was hired by the Athenaeum, where Mount St. Mary's Seminary of the West, the third oldest Roman Catholic seminary in the United States, is located uh, there in Cincinnati, Ohio. He is there an assistant professor of philosophy, where he currently teaches. So welcome, Tracy. Are you there? Yes, I'm here, Francis. Oh, I'm so glad you're here to join us tonight. How is life at the Athenaeum? Well, it's a little quiet around here today, but it's uh, going on as usual, active as usual. We're busy helping people with faith and formation. And did you have anybody um, be ordained this year? Yes, we just had two ordinations. Uh, Archbishop Schnur ordained... uh, Father Brian Phelps and Father Jim Reilly just recently. So we have two new priests serving the diocese. Praise God! Yay! <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad you're there at the Athenaeum helping to form our young seminarians, our and our priest. And I know that there are lay vocations there too, right? Oh yes, we train lay ecclesial ministers, uh, and we also train deacons. So. That's mostly who we're training for ministry, priests, deacons, and lay ecclesial ministers. Wonderful. Now, are you on break for the summer, or do you teach classes through the summer? Well, we're on break during the summer, but we have writing projects and other things we're involved in, including ongoing thesis work for master's degrees. So we keep pretty busy, but uh, summer summer is a break from uh, the heavy teaching load. Well, that must be one of the reasons why you're here on the program tonight. You're having a little bit of a break so I can get you on. <laughs> well, I'm and here because so... you asked me. I'll, I'll be on here whenever you'd like. Oh, wonderful. I'm going to hold you to that. Uh-oh. Well, you know, um, I saw an article that you wrote, and it inspired me to call you and ask you to come on to the program again, because the article that you wrote was called Heaven is for Real, and, and of course, there was a subtitle, uh, and it was about the canonizations of um, now St. John Paul II and St. John the Twenty-Third. So, um, but anyway, I had just recently seen that movie by that same title and read the book, and so I was very fascinated. Okay, what's what's the connection here? So, um, I, I thought maybe we could talk about that movie a little bit tonight. What do you think? Well, sure. I recently saw the movie too. Uh, I, my my wife wanted to see it, and uh, she encouraged me to go, and so I went with her, and we we watched the movie. It's it's a very entertaining movie. Yes, and um, so we and what I think we should do is probably uh, let our listeners know a little bit about what that movie was about. So, would you like to just give a little bit of synopsis uh, on, on what the content of that movie was? Well, it's a, it's about a young man, uh, Colton Burpo, I believe is his name. Uh, yep. there was, a, his father wrote the book, uh, about his experience. It was a near-death experience. He didn't quite die, but he came close to dying, and, uh, while he was under care in the hospital, 
he had kind of a vision and out-of-body experience, and he saw many things. He saw uh, heaven and Jesus and angels and and uh, when he got better and came out came out of this, uh, he began to report to his parents some of the things that he had seen, and he seemed to have information uh, that uh, he he would not have had any natural way of of knowing. Right, that he he knew certain facts that seemed to have been revealed to him privately in this in this vision of heaven, this experience that he had. That's essentially the movie. So it's a movie about faith, because the people who hear the story, uh, including, you know, his own parents, they, they, they wrestle with, you know, the whole decision about whether to accept this uh, as, as a true revelation, or whether it was from God, and, and what made it credible or not. So it, it's really a story about uh, natural faith, right? It's, about, it's a story about when do we, you know, give credibility to uh, these kinds of reports and experiences that people very often have? Right. And, you know, I, I saw the movie, read the book, and I, I really related to it as a parent because, you know, with children, yeah, you do worry about them when they get really sick. Uh, the temperatures are way high and they're not getting better. And, and uh, I think Colton had an uh, appendix that ruptured uh, but was undetected. They, they couldn't tell what, what was going on. The doctor, the first doctor had misdiagnosed or, or just missed it. Uh, and so, but eventually the day they did catch it and he was only about four years old almost four years old when that happened in fact i i thought oh how interesting on may 19th colton turned 15 so just recently <laughs> he turned 15 years old and i i i key on that because my son is only a month older than colton <laughs> so as okay. i'm seeing as i'm seeing the movie and i'm watching uh, reading the book uh, i'm thinking about my own son and uh relating uh because my son was blonde hair just like the guy on the book, you know, just like the picture of Colton. And so I really related to it. But, you know, uh, our people, our listeners can really relate to this when when someone they know is is very, very sick and you're very concerned. Um, But but yes, he he had an experience. And one of the things I remember is he told his dad that the angel sang to him and he sat on Jesus's lap. And guess who that made me think of? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so Carmelite, uh, this is yeah. a, this is a quiz for for anybody in our audience and for you, Tracy. Um, oh. which which Carmelite saint sat on Jesus's lap or talked about sitting on Jesus's lap? <laughs> okay, well I'm I'm clueless. You'll have to tell me. My favorite, Therese, the little flower. All right. <laughs> she wanted she wanted to sit on Jesus's knee and have her sister Celine sit on the other knee. So I, okay. I thought, okay, I, I I had to remember that because I, I always think of Therese sitting on Jesus's lap. But anyway, so the the, but, but the she movie, didn't have a she didn't have a vision of that, right? I mean, she right, didn't have right. that experience. <laughs> no, the that was her hoping. The thing about Therese is she had very few, you know, uh, extraordinary experiences. Uh, right. O- only a couple, yeah. Right. Um, and, and one was actually, you know, Our Lady smiling at her. That was probably the most miraculous one uh, that healed her from a, from, well, they don't know exactly what it was, but it was really bad. Um, mm-hmm. And she was healed instantly through the smile of Our Lady. Um, but anyway, oh, the, uh, the program isn't about Therese. <laughs> I'm uh, well, to bring right. that in. Well, sure, yeah. 
<laughs> so um, the question about the movie, which uh, comes up is, okay, well, all right, then is God for real? Is heaven for real? And then as a Catholic, as a Christian, what do I think about that? Um, mm-hmm. so, so, uh, you know, some people really struggle, um, about, you know, thinking about spiritual things. And some people don't stop to think at all, but, uh, we want to encourage everybody to stop and, and think about this. Um, is God for real? Is heaven for real? So, uh, what do you, what do you think, uh, going from this movie, uh, uh, how, how do we approach this topic with other people about is heaven for real? Well, we affirm that. We affirm that as central to our faith. So we, we know absolutely with, with the assurance of divine faith that heaven is, is absolutely real. We, we know many other tenets of the faith, uh, and we, we know them through the authority of God revealing. So it is because it is part of God's Word that, that we know these, these are true. Now, a lot of Christians are reacting in different ways, some negatively to uh, experiences like Colson Burpo had. Um, his experience is, is typical of a lot of different experiences going on. I mean, there's another one called The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven. A lot of people are talking mm-hmm. about him as well. And there's a neurosurgeon who had an experience of heaven and others who have had experiences of hell. And, and, yeah, Gloria and so, Polo. Yeah, it, it gets it gets people talking, um, but the one thing to emphasize is that you know our 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 way of knowing that these are true are not simply because of people's experiences. So we have a we we have a rule, a norm of faith, and many of our evangelical Protestant brothers and sisters, you know, have been invoking the Bible, for example, as being normative by which to judge any such experience. So they'll listen to the heaven described by Colton Burpo, you know, his vision, what he experienced, and then they'll ask themselves, well, does that agree with sacred scripture? Is Mm -hmm. that, you know, is that in line with a rule of faith, which for them would be the Bible above all? And so... In this kind of debate, this you know this is this is a, a healthy thing to realize that there must be a norm, and and that we can't fall into a subjectivism about the faith and start deciding what to believe or disbelieve simply on the basis of subjective experiences. But God did not leave us with just experiences; He He grants experiences, but ultimately they they aren't. That you know any such experience is not itself a norm of faith, and it must be judged in light of some objective criteria. And you know the Bible does give us examples of people who do not believe in in Jesus, um, and you can say, okay, maybe they didn't believe in heaven either, um, I, like uh, Saint Thomas or Saint Paul. Uh, both of them, you know, were, were brought to a level of, of belief as a result of something God did, 
And um, so, you know, it's okay for us to 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 wonder, to ask. Uh, God knows we're human, and and that we need instruction and we need enlightening enlightenment. And so, um, we have examples in Scripture that that tell us that. But we don't necessarily uh, need to have a, a conversion experience like Saint Paul in order to believe that heaven is for real. And and you mentioned dogma. So, can you tell us what what is dogma? What what does that mean? And how does how does that relate to this? Well, dogma would be divinely revealed truths, you know, truths revealed by God, which have been defined as such by, either by uh, a pope or an ecumenical council. So divinely revealed truths defined as such by the Church. We, As Catholics, we recognize those as, as dogma. Uh, that's that's our uh, term for it. So we think dogma is a positive, healthy thing. That there must be these foundational truths that form the core, and that uh, that divine revelation was given uh, to to the apostles uh, in a way that defines an essential content that will never change, that is irreformable. And so, by the time the last apostle died, uh, we would say that divine, public divine revelation was complete and and that it cannot be added to in any way, all right? And so the Church can define dogma based upon that deposit of faith and morals that the apostles received from, from Jesus Christ, but they cannot add to it in, 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 in any way. And it's interesting, if you look at the Catechism, uh, the beginning of the Catechism, for example, in section 65, you see that they're quoting from St. John of the Cross there in order to emphasize this point. So the, the quote from St. John of the Cross is, in the Catechism, uh, number 65, "...in giving us his Son, his only word, for he possesses no other." God spoke everything to us at once in this sole word, and he has no more to say. Because what he spoke to the prophet in parts, he has now spoken all at once, by giving us the all who is his Son. Any person questioning God or desiring some vision or revelation would be guilty not only of foolish behavior, but also of offending him by not fixing his eyes entirely upon Christ, and by living with a desire for some other novelty. That's strong language, but that's from the ascent of Mount Carmel uh, uh, by St. John of the Cross, one of our favorite Carmelites. And uh, the catechism... And doctors of the Church? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the mystical doctor of the Church. So the Church right. recommends St. John of the Cross as as having the normative theology for how to how to understand and deal with extraordinary favors like visions and locutions and and such things but many people receive yeah private revelations which aren't so extraordinary but they are often helpful for people and god does help people in these ways so um you were talking about uh all that's revealed through christ as being public revelation right and and then private revelation would be like the example this uh story about heaven is for real um, or maybe other examples that 
um, are the Catholics out there would know would be like Lourdes, Fatima. Uh, some of the church approved apparitions are Lady of Guadalupe. Uh, that as a private revelation that, that has become publicly known, correct? Yes, that's correct. And we believe as Catholics that church, the church is given to us, uh, as uh, a norm by which to tell us, uh, when we, when we have a private revelation, which is credible. Not that Catholics are obliged to believe uh, in, in the private revelations. They, they actually aren't. They're only obliged to believe in the, the deposit of faith and what follows from it by historical or logical necessity. So, um, but the Lord helps people uh, in, in many ways, and so we can speak of revelation in general and all that God is doing to make himself known and, and to lend credibility to that deposit of faith that he gave to uh, Christ's apostles. So, really, private revelation, like this movie, or say somebody uh, had some uh, deeper understanding uh, about uh, something about the church or the faith, or 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 maybe um, a word that that gave them great peace. That would be private revelation, and and really, uh, like you said, it was it's a gift of God, and and I think a great act of mercy because um, you know it it helps us to improve in some way, uh, either in, enlightens us or guides us or, or, or improves us. Uh, but, but I wanted to ask you, um, you know, since we have private rev- public revelation has finished with the death of the last apostle, correct? Correct. Okay. So private like, revelation, then, you know, what is, why is that important to us? Why, why do we need private revelation? Because some people are going to say, well, you know, we don't need that, and, and maybe we don't need it, but yet God is giving it. So what's its purpose? Well, is there a need for it? I guess the answer would be yes and no. Some Some people need what we would say are additional motives of credibility in order to come to faith in the Word of God. So the mm. traditional distinction is between uh, the formal motive of credibility, which is the authority of God, His Word, as He reveals, right? And our, our faith is not based upon mm-hmm. reason, uh, figuring things out. I mean, we're not doing empirical science, right? Our, our faith right. is not... Our, our, our faith is based upon the authority of God, so we take God at His Word, and that's our formal motive. But the thing that God does for us is He, he gives us helps. He gives us helps to our intellect in different ways in order that we might uh, see that His Word is truly from Him and uh, is truly credible. So things like miracles, God will will offer miracles to people who need them. Now, John of the Cross and Teresa and Therese, I mean they all, you know, emphasize that that we, you know, we we don't we shouldn't desire these extraordinary things, but but God knows who needs them and even John of the Cross says, well, if a person really needs a miracle in order to believe, then God God will give the person all that they need in order to come to faith. And so some people do have extraordinary helps, you know. Uh, they may 
they they may be knocked down and and come to a fundamental encounter with Christ, you know, like Paul uh, on the road to Damascus and so on. The, the and I'm Lord thinking does, of Father Father Don Calloway as a contemporary example of somebody who uh, had a, an incredible conversion story. Yeah. So we rejoice that God does help people in these ways, and but He's God's the only one that knows really when that's needed, and God decides how to reveal Himself privately to people in order to help them come to true faith. But if you notice, even in the scriptures, that any kind of private revelation is always directed toward the public revelation found in Jesus Christ alone, right? So even yes. with even with Saul or Paul on the road to Damascus, I mean, immediately he's directed toward the church, and and is he's told you are to go to the church to know what what you, it is that you are to believe, and so the Lord always you know involves his church and the mediating role of the church as a as uh, the rule of faith in, in order to uh, inform people about the content. Uh, that is revealed to the apostles in the deposit of faith and morals. Right, because the you know we we have this revelation through Christ and the apostles, but maybe we don't understand it so well. So maybe there's a new emphasis or a nuance that now is is coming forth through uh, the private revelation, or or maybe an earlier truth has been set aside. You know, like divine mercy by the people of France were were thinking about God's justice so much that they were forgetting about His mercy, which was always there, but but now. Now uh, it, it sort of had to come back to get it balanced, or or maybe uh, private revelation might be uh, to help us develop new forms of devotion um, because you know God is infinite, so the devotions can be <laughs> infinite too. But you know, um, we we have much more to talk about, but we've got to take a little bit of a break right now. And so when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about what the problem with private revelation could be so um, Tracy we're just going to take a little bit of break and then we'll be right back in just a few minutes
Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you're currently listening to is a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations. I have a special guest, Dr. Tracy Jamison, my good friend. And we're talking about heaven is for real. I know we're not going to dissect the movie, <laughs> although that might be another conversation. But we're talking about how um, you know, we can believe in heaven as a result of um, our belief in the dogmas of the church and um, uh, how public revelation and private revelation um, what that what they mean and and so Tracy we were talking about private revelation and this book heaven is for real or the movie um, this uh, uh, experience that the young boy has of of being in heaven and seeing things and learning things that you know um, they don't know how he he knew other than somebody in heaven told him um, but uh, there are problems when we have private revelation. Um, so maybe you could address that for us. Well, there's several problems. Um, one thing to understand about private revelation that you, you mentioned earlier was 
that they they add nothing to the deposit of faith, right? They simply might Mm -hmm. emphasize mercy or justice in a certain way, but it's simply affirming things that are already revealed. There is no new truth being revealed. So that's one thing to understand about private revelation, that they don't add. They really don't add anything. They're just given to help people in accord with their own needs. And the, the one of the first dangers about them, though, is that they're often misunderstood. And you you, off, you also mentioned that uh, earlier. They they can be misunderstood. So even if it's an authentic revelation from God, receiving it is one thing, but understanding it is another. And so a person might receive something uh, that is truly a private revelation. And yet, then they might they might misunderstand it, or or forget, or 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 be confused about what exactly was said, or even misunderstand the meaning of what was said. Saint John of the Cross lays down some rules for dealing with these kinds of extraordinary private revelations, and the one thing that he emphasizes is don't ever think that you've got them figured out, right? <laughs> right. Because, because very often. Uh, we we see this in the scriptures too. Whenever the Lord grants a certain word to someone through prophecy or by another means, the person misunderstands the meaning of the word that God is speaking, and, and so they're often very surprised about the fulfillment of it. Because and I think that happens even in the Old Testament. We have examples of that where they think something's going to happen a certain way, and then it doesn't. Yes, absolutely, and so. John of the Cross says, just, you know, you, you can never assume that, that you're properly understanding any particular private revelation of that sort. And so in the Catechism, uh, we, we see that where private revelations are mentioned there in, in number 67, right? It says, mm-hmm. yes, there have been many so-called private revelations, um, but they do not belong to the deposit of faith. They, they have a they they have a positive role to help live more fully, right? The the faith once received, but but there's also dangers in them. They they can never become the rule of faith or the or the norm of faith. The the language we sometimes use there to you know from a Catholic uh, doctrinal perspective is that the the rule of faith ultimately is sacred scripture and sacred tradition these are the two modes of transmission for the deposit of faith and morals but the remote rule of faith is the living teaching office of the catholic church or the proximate rule of faith would be the the living teaching office of the catholic church which we call the magisterium so okay. together the magisterium and sacred tradition and sacred scripture Right, the remote rule of faith, together with the magisterium, the proximate rule of faith, we we look on those as the three legs of the stool, and it's a three-legged stool. And if you if you pull out any one of those legs, then the stool falls over. So they're inseparable; they stand or fall together in order to understand the objective meaning of the deposit of faith. Okay, I'm going to back up a little bit. Just hold on, um, because you said remote and proximate means, uh, and and those are big words, and so is magisterium. So so just for the benefit of our listeners, what do you mean by remote and proximate means, and, and who is the magisterium? 
the magisterium is the living teaching office of the church, which would be made up of the pope and the college of bishops in union with the pope. We, All right, so we, obedience to our bishops would be very critical here then, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, absolutely. Okay. In fact, we don't have a guarantee of certitude, you know, that we get from infallible teaching, right? We we only have infallibility when our belief is in union with the teaching office of the Church. And so, as Catholics, we understand that Scripture and tradition are the remote rule of faith. They're the transmission of divine revelation, but they must be interpreted. And so, given that they must be interpreted properly, uh, then we must have a proximate rule of faith, and that would be the teaching office. Proximate means what? It means it's it's nearest to us, right? It's near to us, and we can consult the living teaching office of the Church in order to understand the proper interpretation of divine revelation. All right, good. I want to make sure we understood that. (laughs) Well, an analogy would be, there's a rule of morals as well, right? The rule of faith is analogous to the rule of morals, we would say. Well, what's the norm of morality? And we would say the norm of morality is uh, human nature, right? But but God's nature is also in there as well. And so there's a proximate and a remote, and together they make up that norm. And so whenever you have a norm, it's it's a guide. It's a guide for judgment so that we can know the truth. And so if a person has experienced some kind of um, private revelation, say they have a vision, um, what should they do? Well, you mentioned before uh, the the key is obedience. So that starts with obedience to, you know, to the the God-given teaching office of the Church, um, and so uh, obedience to to the bishops who have a God-given role to to judge private revelation, uh, such claims, right? But also right. obedience to your spiritual director and confessor. So if you receive a private revelation in the form of a vision or, or a word from God, right, a locution, mm-hmm. we, we, we would follow John of the Cross's guideline that you don't make that public. You go to your spiritual director or you go to... Uh, your confessor, and you tell them, and and then you follow, you know, their direction on what to do with that. So, and I I think that's so important because so many people want to interpret it according to their own narrow perspectives or their own uh, knowledge, and you know that's where I think evil can really slip in, or, or, or one of the uh, big ways evil can slip in is because uh, you know people want to self-diagnose and self-translate uh, uh, and <laughs> all of that stuff. Where where God wants us to to be community and, and to to talk and get confirmation from others, uh, especially the authority over us, right? Yes, and. John of the Cross emphasizes that, you know, left to ourselves, we cannot be certain that what we have heard or seen is really from God. So left to ourselves, you know, in in the judgment of our own conscience alone, um, we would easily be deceived, and that's one of the main problems about these private revelations, right? I mean, sometimes they aren't from God. Sometimes they're from, uh, you know, our own psyche. They could be a delusion, 
right? Mm-hmm. There, there are all kinds of psychological problems that people have and fall into hearing voices and seeing things. I mean, that, that could be a problem, or it could even be, you know, a, a, a fallen angel uh, trying to imitate uh, uh, private, you know, divine revelation. And so John of the Cross says because there are these possible causes in any given case, that the individual receiving these can never be certain about whether they are from God. And so that's that's the recommendation, right? Take it to the authority of the Church so that there might be a judgment, and start with your spiritual director or your or your confessor. I happen to know several people who who struggle with receiving these locutions, hearing things, and unfortunately some of them trust them way too easily and and then and then they have a real struggle in their lives because they're they're setting they're setting up a subjective norm by which right. to judge to yeah, and, and they fall into a kind of subjectivism. And and so this can be a big problem in a person's life, you know. And I think there are examples of that um, out there on the internet, um, where people have posted, you know, words that they have received, and and so you you can even get examples of, of that out there. And you know, uh, oftentimes it, it could be really God trying to uh, tell you something, and yet the evil can slip in there, and you know, you slide down that slippery slope, and oh boy, that's that's trouble. So, uh, and plus our imagination, we, we can just have this, you know, wishful thinking that we, we want so much to be holy and special that we create our own little scenarios. <laughs> and so, oh boy, that's real big trouble. But, uh, I, I think spiritual pride can sneak in there. And of course, we know that, uh, having a vision or an experience like Colt and Bert Burpo did in, in Heaven is for Real, uh, those experiences are not an indicator of the holiness of their soul. Um, it is an experience, and, and like the sun that, that shines on the good and the bad and the beautiful and the ugly, um, you know, uh, these graces God gives to whom he wants whenever he wants, and and so it's not an indicator of holiness, but so many people think that it is, uh, and so that's a real big misconception, wouldn't you say? Oh, certainly that's a big misconception. Uh, the, the the Burpo family seems to be a very holy, God fearing Christian family. Yeah. They're 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 a wonderful example. Um, of course, Colton's sister always says, "Well, he's no he's no saint, you know, he's no <laughs> angel." <laughs> well, okay, right. But but uh, the 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 point would be that um, it, it can it can become a source of pride for many people, even though. Uh, you know, with others, it doesn't. But uh, Saint Teresa yeah, it doesn't appear doesn't yeah. appear like it's an issue for that family right now. It, it seems like they're really trying to glorify God through all of this and bring our attention to heaven and the, the fact that heaven is for real. <laughs> yes, uh, well, they're, and they're doing so with the resources that they have. But you know, from a Catholic point of view, we would say, well, the, they don't have the complete rule of faith. They've got. The partial rule of faith, right? So th- there's that that concern. But even in Saint Teresa's life, she would address this this misconception about holiness and revelations, and she would say, 
you know, people people think I'm very holy because I, I receive these visions and locutions, and, and she would say, they're absolutely wrong. These are a sign of weakness. She would say, in my own life, I, if, I, if I had stronger faith, if I didn't need these helps, I wouldn't be getting them. And she said, it, it's always because of our weakness that we that we receive these helps and so we should we should be grateful for them and and God does help us but but yeah, uh, but, but the under- dark night of faith is 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 the source of the mystical life not the visions and locutions right if i if i understand this correctly it's sort of like uh, the the visions and the locutions could Perhaps be, I'm not saying this is all the time, but perhaps be like the dust particles that you see floating through the, the rays of the sun going through the window, uh, and, and those dust particles are, are manifesting <laughs> in these visions or, or locutions, but a pure faith doesn't have any dust in it. So, so you're not going to have that. And, and so, um, I, I, that's just kind of a, a, a little bit of an analogy there, but I, I, I'm glad you well, brought up St. Teresa of Avila there. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I found this one quote of her because, you know, some people, they hear about this stuff and they're like, oh, geez, I wish I could be like Colton and have an experience of heaven. And, and sure, we all want to have an experience of heaven because we want to be there. That's our home. <laughs> we all don't right. want to have an experience of heaven because, uh, we're, we're being called back there. And, and so, um, I hope everybody wants to get to heaven. Um, but anyway, uh, to desire supernatural experiences though, that, that is, uh, shaky ground though. And, and I know St. Teresa of Avila talked about that. In fact, uh, I have this quote from Interior Castle, um, chapter 6 uh, of the Sixth Mansion. She says, I will only warn you that when you learn or hear that God is granting souls these graces, you must never beg or desire him to lead you by this road. Even if you think it is a very good one, there are certain reasons why such a course is not wise. And then she gives us like five or six reasons. So I, I just have to put these out there because I know uh, sure. there's some listener that out there that wants to hear this. And this is from Interior Caps, Castles, um, the sixth mansion. Um, I think it's chapter nine. It says, first, uh, by desiring these uh, supernatural experiences, she says, first, such a desire shows a lack of humility. Second, one thereby leaves self open to great peril because the devil has only to see a door left ajar a bit to enter. Third, the danger of auto-suggestion. When a person has a great desire for something, he convinces himself that he is seeing or hearing what he desires. Fourth, it is presumption for one to want to choose his own path, as only the Lord knows which path is best for us. Fifth, very heavy trials usually go with these favors, could we be sure of being able to bear them? And finally, sixth, you may well find that the very thing from which you had expected gain will bring you loss. Yeah. So. That's excellent. You you see how close uh, that her teaching is to St. John of the Cross there. They, they both say that, you know, we are not to desire these extraordinary favors in, in any way. We're not to seek them out. And when we hear about them, we're not even to to promote them we're not to you know make people think that uh this is something to rejoice in in fact john of the cross says don't rejoice in them at all you you should negate them in a certain way and downplay them and and realize that they are not the spiritual life they they are not 
the, you know, faith in, 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 that, that we call divine faith in, in the deposit that uh, we receive from the apostles. And we, we should go by way of, 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 of the darkness of faith, and there's great merit in that. You know, if we receive an extraordinary vision or locution, there's no merit in that at all. You know, in fact, we're indebted to God. But if we trust God and, and, and sacred scripture and sacred tradition and His Church and, and accept uh, the Word of God through the ordinary means that He's given us, there is great merit in that. So right. we, we, we would lose the merit of faith if, if we were given a lot of extraordinary favors. And, and, and frankly, what God is after is that response of faith that he wants us to have. And yet at the same time, if this kind of stuff happens, like it did to St. Teresa of Avila, mm-hmm. then, uh, you know, it wasn't just for her alone. These these graces, graces that God gives are never onesies. They're always for all of us. <laughs> and so um, I think he used Teresa uh, as a way of helping us discern um, whether they're from God or whether they're from ourselves or whether they're from the evil. And I think John the Cross comes at it um, from another direction, but they, they come together. The same thing is that, you know, uh, these things are not God. These are not an indicator of holiness. These are not the tools of the trade to get you to heaven. Um, but, but these can be gifts from God. So they can be legitimate gifts and graces for us, for our improvement, for our spiritual growth. Uh, but they can also be, uh, real big problems, uh, especially if we're attached or, um, we use them irresponsibly. Um, so, you know, it's serious stuff, really. Um, and, well, sure. and really should should be discussed with people in, who know about this stuff, right? Go to the Carmelites. <laughs> go to, go well, to the established Carmelite. Go to the friars, <laughs> the Carmelite friars. <laughs> Teresa and John of the Cross both offer criteria by which to judge uh, whether whether these visions and locutions are from God or not, right? There are certain mm-hmm. properties by which they can be judged, but then, then they both say, that we're not to use these individually. These these are criteria for our spiritual directors to use in deciding, you know, uh, what they're being told is really from God or not. So yeah, so we don't want to self-diagnose right here. <laughs> yeah, we we can never we can never fall into uh, putting our faith in a in a subjective experience that we might be missing misinterpreting. The best little Carmelite book that I've ever seen on this topic is written by Father Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene. You've probably heard of him. Oh, yes. Yes, he was professor of spiritual theology at the Theresianum in Rome for many years, and he wrote a little book uh, called Visions and Revelations in the Spiritual Life, and he, he maps out the whole teaching of Teresa and John there and and how to deal with with this issue uh and he and he does it for spiritual directors so i i would recommend that book visions and revelations in the spiritual life father gabriel of saint mary magdalene it's a very useful little book for spiritual directors and and anyone dealing with this issue and didn't he also write divine intimacy isn't that his book Mm-hmm. That's the yeah. It's the, he uh-huh. wrote that as well. And divine intimacy in it has different editions, but those are mostly 
a recording of his own meditations in his own prayer yeah. life. Yeah, yeah, it's those very, are wonderful. Oh, those are marvelous, yes. <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought up that book because you know how much I love to read the books, and so many of us do, and so that that is a, a, a nice recommendation for us. So, um, well, so we know that private revelations must be re- submitted to the rule of faith, to uh, sacred tradition, to the magisterium, and, and, and we on our part... Um, are to uh, to see in our you know are are we growing in humility uh, are we growing in love of God and love our neighbor that's the bottom line um, mm-hmm. are we growing in love are we growing in faith and um, of course we we need the church and and the sacraments but there's something else that we need and we only have about three four minutes left so what's that final thing that every Carmelite is out there help promoting? <laughs> well, you tell me, I. Uh... What what are you thinking of? Well, the devotion to prayer, the you know the oh, prayer. Oh, okay, we we yeah. need to be praying. Absolutely, we need and, to be praying course, in order to be properly that, disposed course, for the graces. Yeah. And and the bottom line of what the prayer is is relationship with Jesus, right? Yes, absolutely. So, our relationship with with Christ must be a personal relationship, but it must be a relationship based upon revealed truth. And and so, we we have to bring both of that together the the, the public you know element the 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 accepting of of the faith uh, mediated through the church, but also that it becomes personal in our lives through prayer. All right. Well, we're coming to the end of our hour, and I've enjoyed this, and I know we could probably talk on this some more. In fact, I, I had this personal project in mind where when I first read that book, uh, Heaven is for Real, I thought, well, I'm just highlighting everything that Colton said about heaven and about uh, what Jesus said. And, and then I was going to take it with what Teresa says in the interior castles about discernment uh, and discerning all of this uh, supernatural um, phenomena and, and, you know, see how it squares up. So so there's a little uh, 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 project for somebody, some grad student out there that wants to, to investigate <laughs> that. I, I think that would be very interesting uh, to say, okay, well, we can discern from this and this and this that the likelihood of this being a true revelation or, you know, this is an indicator of, you know, maybe getting off the beaten path or, you know, to help us learn to discern. But, um, you know, Tracy, you've given us a lot of, of food for thought, uh, knowing that we as as Catholics, uh, we we have what we need we we don't need the supernatural phenomena to happen in our lives um and if god chooses to uh give that to us uh then you know we we have a response of of getting the correct discernment on that and not just uh taking it for our, our own self so um anyway uh how would you like to summarize this give us a a, a final thought here well my final thought would be the church is the source of our certitude right we we have we have certitude because our faith is in line with the norm of faith uh, uh because the truth revealed by god through christ jesus 
is mediated to us through the church. And so we have a solid objective foundation uh, the, the, in, in, the, in the teaching office of the church, in scripture and tradition, to guide us in faith. And so that is the source of our certainty. We know heaven is real because it's a dogma defined by the church, and that's how we know it, not by a subjective experience. But we're always grateful when God grants subjective experiences to help us according to our needs. Well, thank you so much. I'm really glad you were with us, and I do want to have you back with us again. And in case you want to read up about uh, where Dr. Tracy Jamison works, um, it's at the www.athenaeum.edu. And I put that on the Carmelite Conversations Facebook so that you can connect uh, that way as well. And um, so we hope you'll come back and join us. Um, and next week, um, my co-host, Mark Danis, will be back, and we'll be talking about his favorite Carmelite, Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity, and her famous prayer, Holy Trinity, whom I adore. So I hope all of our listening audience will be there with us for that. And at this time, um, I want to have a closing prayer. But again, Tracy, thank you so much for joining us on this Carmelite conversation. Well, anytime, So friend. let us join him. All right, great. Thank you. All right, and let's have this closing prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Dearest Jesus, teach us to be generous, to love and serve you as you deserve, to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to seek for rest, to labor and to look for no reward except that of knowing that I do your holy will. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, Tracy. We look forward to talking with you again. Thanks, Francis. Bye-bye. Listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations.